Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. Uh, Today I'm here with Waiwana. Just a quick trigger warning. We will be talking about sexual assault today. So if you're not in the mind space for that, feel free to come back later or visit one of the 390 some episodes that we're going to have out there by the time you hear this. Seattle native Waiwana Montgomery is an international speaker, award-winning author, and CEO of Waiwana Speaks Consulting LLC, now residing in Oklahoma City. I love reading these bios, just a side note, because I'm like, wow, you all are so awesome. Thank you. She holds a BA in in African and African-American studies from Duke University and an MA in organizational management from Ashford University. Understanding the need for young people to have a village of support, she's the founder of Reach Forward Foundation, a mentorship program for young people in grades 6 through 12. Right now, I have some middle schoolers. And so they really do need that support. They're going through a lot, just a side note. You know, they have so many hormones raging through their little bodies. So if anybody (laughs) hears children yelling at each other in the background, hopefully the new microphone setup won't allow that for you to hear it. It's my children. It's summertime. They're losing their minds. They are 11 going on 12 and... They're losing it. So anyways, aside from being a mentor to many, she is also a wife of 20 plus years. Wow. Hashtag goals. A mother of three, Mimi, aka grandmother to three, auntie and dog mom to Savannah and Simba. Well, thank you, Waiwana. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for being patient. Nobody's going to hear it, but I just messed up a whole bunch of stuff. It's because I haven't drank my full coffee yet today. <laughs> understood it's okay uh so thank you for coming on the podcast um as the trigger warning said we are going to talk about some serious stuff today um i would love for you to kick it off wherever you think is the the right place to start okay well if if we're diving right in since we've already (laughs) given the trigger warning uh the first thing that i like to share i'm an only child so i think that's helpful for audiences to understand that sexual abuse can happen in any home. I'm an only child, well doted upon, um, even though it was just me and my mother, she to this day, and I'm 45, is still super excited about me (laughs) because she had a really (laughs) difficult time. She could probably have her own episode, Megan. I was my mother's sixth out of eight pregnancies, and I am an only child because she always went into preterm labor. So I was born weighing only one pound, 14 ounces. And you know oh how babies, gosh. yeah, yes. you know how babies lose weight right after birth. So then yes. I was only one pound, six ounces, and I was only 12 inches long. That's a ruler. If you guys are going, well, how big is that? And because she was only five months and 22 days pregnant with me, oh despite being on bed rest with her feet elevated, she still went into labor. So if you can imagine Um, potentially I could have had a brother. He was born three years before me, but he was too early as well and only lived an hour and a half. So 
you think about what she went through just having me, I was like everything, everything to her. So I like to start there because some people think that abuse only happens if you're in a home where you're being neglected, but it can happen anywhere. And, you know, I'm just a happy, lucky kid going along my way. I was very, always very smart in school, ahead of the game, super competitive. And, you know, you get a, a family friend in there that mm-hmm. you you trust the person that's around you trust them um you view them like a father so you're going to you're going to be able to let your guard down a bit you know because you confide in uh this person appears to be a father like figure to you but that is prime real estate where someone can um begin the grooming process and and betray your trust you know you're having conversations about boys you like you know boys you're looking at at school age appropriately. And this person, you know, starts saying things like, oh, okay, what is that? So, you know, I wanted to start there because it's, it's just important for people to realize that it can happen anywhere. And the thing that I really wanted to talk about here is the journey to regaining your power. So this happened from 11 to 12. So quite young, not even at the teenage stage yet where your hormones are raging, But unfortunately, I was exposed to all kinds of things that you shouldn't even know about at that age. Right. You know, someone um, making you watch porn with them. And it it took years to close my eyes and not see images that I didn't want to see, but I couldn't unsee them because they were already there seared in my brain. And then I really struggled with feeling like, well, I was 11, not two. And so I thought it was my fault because I felt like only someone two or three or four could be taken advantage of in that manner, right? And so the journey to getting the power back has has everything to do with, okay, so you have something like that happen. And then you're starting to get a little bit older into the teenage years you are dating. And I should pause and say it stopped after a year because I did tell my mother She believed me immediately. I was, you know, that person was taken out of my path and all of those things. So I didn't have to be further traumatized by not being believed or anything like that. And and in fact, she actually said she had started to have a weird feeling, but she thought it was like separation anxiety because Mm -hmm. sometimes when she had to work, I was left with this person and she thought it was her own anxiety about leaving me. She didn't realize that her mother's intuition was trying to warn her about something different. So I don't blame her for that. We don't know, you know, this is someone that we all trusted. And so you get older and then you kind of go through some twists and turns because you're, you're dating, you're navigating, you like them, they like you. And so thankfully very short because, you know, the world is dangerous, but as a younger teen, I lost my virginity because this other situation was the, you know, the inappropriate touching and fondly, not any penetration, nothing like that. But it's an interesting mind warp that you go through as a young person where I felt like, okay, even though this behavior um, goes against the standard that I have for myself and and what I believe in my faith, I felt like I was taking something back by at least this person is my age and my choice. Right. And that can be dangerous too, because I have, you know, in mentoring young people, I've met young girls that go, all the way to the extreme where there's like no boundary, no filter, everyone is taking advantage of them. And so, you know, wasn't, wasn't like that, but in dating choice just felt like, okay, well, 
you know, at least this person is my age and my choice that makes it okay. But that still doesn't make the behavior healthy, especially if that's not really what you want for yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you've got to deal with the heartbreak. uh, You know, my husband is not the person I lost my virginity. So that, you know, it's not like that was the one. Um, But fortunately, I, I had a lot of radar in my own system and, and more fear than I think a lot of young people have today. They're just like, Oh, nothing can ever happen to me. And I'm like, but it can. Right. Um, but the interesting thing is there was that, then that came to an end because I had to put a stick in the ground. This is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. Um, there's no room for error because I, you know, plan to go to college, get a degree. And quite frankly, being pregnant and having a child, people get through it, but that makes it a lot more, difficult. So not judging, yes. but I, yeah, I, I was a teen mom. <laughs> right. So, you know, I'm like, yeah, people can do it. And I think it's absolutely amazing, but I'm like, it makes it more difficult. So I want to avoid that path. So let's get your head back on girl, get back right. on track. And, you know, you can date without going that way. Um, you know, so where we really get to a space, you're going along, you're going along and you think everything's fine. And in college, you know how you have an internship. So because I was majoring in African and African-American studies, I actually had a real a related work-study job. And it's really cool. Today, the John Hope Franklin Research Center is a freestanding building on Duke University's campus. And who knew that I'd end up living in Oklahoma where he's from? He's from Bowley, oh, really? Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. And um, also even had some ties family-wise to the Greenwood area. That was that really thriving Black community. But I didn't even know I would ever be living in Oklahoma City. But then the John Hope Franklin Center was not even an office. It was, the name was given to just boxes of special collections documents that folks had donated to Duke University's library for the African-American Studies Department. So I had a job just sitting in a basement with a, a grad student we're going through all the documents, categorizing them, you know, trying to archive them because they're very old. And I was talking to her. I'm, I met my husband during my sophomore year of college. So I was already in North Carolina. He was in Seattle. And when spring break plans got changed at the last minute sophomore year, I went home, was only home four days and met him on the second day. Oh, and wow. the rest is history. Yeah. Here we are 24 years later, come July 10th. And so I was talking to the grad student that I work with, just me and her side by side, sorting through dusty old boxes and papers. And she said, you know what? You might want to go to therapy. And that's something that had never even crossed my mind. You know, I thought I was okay. I felt okay. She said, because you never know in getting married and now having a regular intimate relationship, you just don't know if that might be triggering. Right. And yeah, when I when I met my husband, I was 19 and he was 24 um, and I just hadn't even I hadn't even thought about that. I thought, you know, I prayed about it. My faith has gotten me through. I'm okay, But I didn't think about there could be situations that totally different context, but enough parallel to kind of to take you back. Right. I'm so grateful for her feeling comfortable enough and just sharing because I literally had not thought about the possibility that that could be an issue. So I did what any college student does. There's this place called Student Health that offers counseling. And I thought, well, here it'll be free. I don't know if I need it or not, but she might be on to something. So I went and uh, met with that therapist, however many sessions you are allowed. And 
And she said, you know, she's like, I really think the support system that you have around you and still have um, your confidence, you're able to get that back, your faith. I think all of those things have allowed you to really heal well, you know, emotionally right. and, and mentally, spiritually heal well. And I believe she was right, but there's still a difference mm. once you get into this in the situation. And so I did find that after getting married, first of all, the thing that's so funny, you know, when you're when you're raised in a in a faith household and it's like the whole message has been wait your whole life. Um, the first night of my honeymoon in Hawaii, I kept feeling like I wasn't supposed to spend the night and that it was time <laughs> to go home. <laughs> I kept thinking it's time to go home. My mom's going to knock on the door. I can't stay here. We can't do this. <laughs> it was just, it was so funny. Like you're an adult and you're thinking that because I met him my sophomore year and we got married like just shy of 60 days after my graduation. Um, and interesting sidebar, our entire courtship was long distance. So Audience, wow. if you're wondering, it can work with the right person. So including when I graduated from college and we got married, that space of time was only the sixth time that we've seen each other. But when I say see each other six times, it's not like only six hours or six days. You know, right. if you go home for winter break in college, that's a whole month. If you're home for the summer, that's three months. But six separate occasions of actually being in the same city, visiting, hanging out. But I always tell people, if all you can do is talk on the phone, 99% of the time, you learn a whole lot because right. it provides just enough anonymity where you'll you'll have those deeper conversations that you might've been a little bit shyer about. And yep. you're not just watching TV or some people when they're around each other, it's only physical. So they're still not having any conversation mm -hmm. and they still don't know anything. But um Speeding back up, I just had to share that because that makes it even more interesting that we've been together so long. Um, in marriage, you know, and now having an intimate relationship, there are things that there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. But the way I was introduced, I had to battle not to have flashbacks. Mm. Because yeah. it was like the same activity, even though it was the right context, if that makes sense. Yep. Totally. And yeah, and I'm so thankful to have had a very and still have a very caring, compassionate, patient spouse, you know, not just a hothead like this, you know, you're my wife and this is what we're going to do. And this is what I want. Um, I had to take time and explain those things, you know, because it's they don't know what's going on. They know that some, you're not comfortable and they don't want to harm you. And that I, I can imagine that's a very difficult position for your intimate partner to be in. Um, yeah. they, they think it's romantic, which it is. But if you are still dealing with the battle scars of the abuse, um, it's like PTSD. I never thought about it like that. But it, yeah. right now in, in this moment, Megan, it reminds me of the military veteran that can't enjoy fireworks because it sounds like gunfire in the trenches. They are super patriotic. They love America. Fireworks are things that, you know, people do at all kinds of celebrations, but they can't disassociate always. It's the same sound. Yeah. And it it triggers the the emotion of when they were under heavy artillery in the trenches right. somewhere overseas. And that's what it was like, you know, certain certain things, you know, certain positions, even things that you might have said. And that's something that your your husband or boyfriend or whoever it is, they don't have any way of knowing 
what the abuser said or did. You know, you just say, oh, I was molested. Well, that could mean all kinds of things, right. wide range. And they don't know until there they are. And you're in the moment being triggered. And so that that piece of getting your power back um, and you can cut in. I feel like I'm, I'm telling you a lot here. No, you're uh, good. It, it takes a whole lot. You have to, in your mind, get to a place. For me, that meant doing a lot of praying. I had to pray, talk to some other people who'd been through the same thing because you have to really like literally remind your mind and your body that this may seem similar, but he's not the same person. I'm not a little girl. This is okay. Not only is it okay, but I can actually enjoy it because this is the right, this is the proper context for it. Right. And there were times where I remember feeling angry because you're like, how dare this other person take something from me that is supposed to be pleasurable? Right. You know, and I can't enjoy it because of what they did. Mm -hmm. And now this is the person that I'm supposed to enjoy it with, but I'm having flashbacks instead. I'm in the safe space, but I'm seeing you and hearing your voice instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. When I, um, when I was a, uh, a little girl, I was also molested. Um, I blacked it out. Like I could only remember like little pieces. It wasn't actually until I did EMDR a couple years ago that I remembered explicitly things that happened because we were trying to process through it. I couldn't, I couldn't think of that person at all. It was an uncle of mine. I couldn't think of that person at all without it triggering me, even though I didn't know why. Like I knew why, but I didn't know like the like the details. So we had to process through that. So I understand what you mean that there are times that you're like, this feels wrong, but it's not wrong because it's the right thing. Like it's the right context, it's the right person, right. but it feels wrong because you've been through things that made it feel wrong. Right. And particularly it's twice as hard when it feels dirty, not mm-hmm. only wrong, but dirty because yeah. it was wrong when this adult person was taking advantage of you, the child, you know, yes. and, and kids like this is dirty because it's something you shouldn't have even been involved with at that age and that stage of your life. And so that that's a lot. It was, I remember it being really heavy trying to separate the, the icky, the icky feeling Right. Because it's it's not icky in this context. It's not icky. Um, and so, man, I, I'm trying to figure out how I began to work my way through that. First of all, my my partner, my husband being very, very patient and understanding that. So that's something that's important to anyone who's listening. You have to let your intimate partner know that this thing has happened to you. Right. You know what I'm saying? They They need to know before you get to the intimate moment. And and I told him in the course of our dating, like when I once I knew it was serious and it was heading towards, you know, probably proposal and marriage, I knew then and there, even as a young person, that it was important that he know that um, so that he could handle me accordingly and understand right. that. And uh, but I remember that day was really hard because he didn't even know me at the time, but because he loved me so much, it just ripped him apart. Mm-hmm. He felt so bad, like he just it was a lot for him to deal with. So timing is everything as well. Um, he had to know at that time, but it was really hard for him because he he felt like he he wished he would have known me and could have rescued me. You know, anyone who really loves you is going to feel that way, even though, you know, there's nothing 
he could have done because we didn't know each other at the time. Um, but that journey to getting my power back, I think it had a lot to do with in I, I talked to other women of all ages, people who were older, been married longer. Um, it, we did have premarital counseling as well. So that was helpful. And I made sure that um, the husband wife teams, our pastor and his wife doing the counseling, they were aware also um, so that they could bring in information and resources and also did a good job talking with him about what that could look like for me. So they helped reinforce the message of, as well. And I think what helped me turn the corner is I was finally able to, it's a lot just being a new wife. Um, right. And then again, like I said, when you're a person that's come from a Christian background and the, and the whole message is abstain and now you're in a marriage and it's okay, just adjusting, flipping the light on there and that whole mindset and just relaxing into it. This is something that not only is enjoyable, but I have every right to enjoy it. Right. It was meant to be fun. You know, sex is meant to be pleasurable with the right person, the right context, someone that, you know, they're not just getting something that that's a whole other topic too. I laugh about <laughs> the, the language, you know what the language that gets used around it, like, yes, you know, men asking women, or especially I'd say boys asking girls, like in a teen, you going to give me some, it's like, well, what does that mean? Like, right. <laughs> what does that even mean? Like, why are you just taking, you know? <laughs> right. It should be so, mutually, yeah. you know, beneficial and pleasurable thing instead of just like give it to me now it's right. like no <laughs> it's like that language already sounds traumatic why is some why are you taking something and why is somebody just giving so why aren't you mutually enjoying something like even right the language needs to be improved but there is a whole lot in that and it's so funny I even feel um I think it's quite funny that I, I always tell my husband I said I think God has a sense of humor that typically males are in their prime in their twenties, as far as libido and things, and women are in their prime in their forties. And it's like, okay, your 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 libidos aren't synced up. And it, it, yet right. men can create children, some of them until they die, like in their nineties. But uh, <laughs> it's not quality sperm at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the fact that they, you know, may you some can produce pretty late. I mean, you see men like right. 70, 75, you marry a younger woman, they're still having children. Um, but women cut off, like literally turn off that part of their body and life at <laughs> a certain point. It's funny, but um, the thing that I feel is so wonderful, I, I continue to feel even more free. So it's not like I work through a process and then now I really don't deal with any flashback or, you know, being triggered. And it's, it's, it's such a wonderful thing because you have, like I said, you have every right to enjoy. And I do know people who their marriage was indeed impacted because like you talk about, there was a trigger, like hearing about the person, but you didn't know the details. I do know people that all of a sudden something happened in their, in their marriage with their partner. And that was the trigger, like the, right. when they realize it and that's not good timing at all. Um, and it can be a major hindrance if you can't kind of get past that, you know, or you can't work through it. And I'm just, I feel really blessed and really grateful that that did not happen to me. And I hope anyone who's experiencing that, that they can, um, cause it, it can be a, a mountain to climb, but I'm excited that, 
once I was able to process through, remember again, this is a safe space. I think, what do you think? I think that it's really important. The safety aspect is super important. No, I agree. Um, my spouse has been one of the few um, partners I've had in my life. I mean, I've had partners and it's been pleasurable and it's been a great time, but uh, that I felt comfortable and safe enough to disclose things. I was also sexually assaulted as an adult as well um, to disclose things. And he, like your spouse was just like, I wish I could have rescued you. I wish I could have been there. To, so that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, that feeling safe to to not only disclose that, but that I can tell him no and it be okay. Right. Right. Um, because there I have had I had partners where saying no is not okay. It, it was absolutely not acceptable. And and now looking back, I'm like, wow, I was actually assaulted in these relationships because I couldn't say no. Right. right. And that's assault. People don't realize that, but if you are not allowed to say no that is assault. Like you need to have consent. That's right. I teach my little people consent in a age appropriate manner. They know right, about right. sex, but they don't know about sex. <laughs> right, um, right. But we teach connect consent, like don't give hugs if people don't want hugs or don't kiss somebody on the cheek if they don't want to be kissed or like, you know, you need to respect other people's space and, and people are allowed to say no. And if they say no, no means no. Well, if you can't say no, you're being assaulted anyways. So I I didn't have relationships before where I could be comfortable and safe in them, but I've been with my spouse over 12 years now. And I feel comfortable at any point in time saying no. He actually at one point in time is like, you can say no. You know that, right? Like you're allowed to say no. And it wasn't, it took several years into our marriage for it to click. Like, oh, he's okay. Like he's okay with me just saying no. And this is safe. This is because it took time for me to process. Oh, I'm safe. This is a safe place. So yeah, I agree with you. Safety is a huge thing to feel safe with your partner. And you make a very good point about the power of no and reala- realizing that you can, because obviously, even with consenting adults, there are stages, again, could be a whole other topic. But for me personally, the IUD was a birth control where the hormones were so high that I had like no desire. And I thought that was normal until they took it out. And I felt different within like two or three days. Right. And so... There were times where it's like, okay, I'm here because you want to, but I'm not really into it. But I realized for myself, if I'm just there and my mind is completely, I'm not saying that you're always going to be equally interested, but if you can completely take your mind somewhere else. And I was, I was starting to feel like when things were happening, that it was like, no, I need to tell him because he doesn't even know it, you know, and he can't be mad if he doesn't even know it. And so that was a, a conversation that we had to have as well. Because otherwise you're upset and, you know, oh, why is this happening? And they can't read your mind. You know, you might think they should be able to sense my lack of response, but not necessarily. And so I, (laughs) you're in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in the moment. So I realized that too, that if my mind is going there and I'm starting to, okay, I need to actually say something because he loves me enough. He's not just going to move against my, my will. You know what I mean? Right. And so I understood that as well. That's important for me to advocate for myself as needed. And that's part of it because there are, there are women that think that just because they're married, there is no, there is no, no, 
I mean, yeah, the Bible says your body is his and his is yours, but that doesn't mean to be abused. (laughs) You know know what I'm saying? So you have to have that understanding and speak up and keep the communication open because you can have a moment where today this thing is fine and, and next week it's not. You know, you have to make sure you're communicating because no one is a mind reader. And, and, exactly. and we, right. And even in a regular platonic friendship, your friend is going to assume, hell, last week we went and ate at McDonald's. So you still like McDonald's. We'll go again in two weeks. Well, if something has changed, you need to let them know, you know. All yeah. of a sudden you're allergic to it. They need to know or you don't like it. And, you know, you have <laughs> nightmares when you got your pizza. Right. You need to share that. So it's important to keep the line of communication open. And you, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir telling you this, but I found find that it's it's like a grief process. You can go through therapy and everything else, but there just may be days like we shared. I was relieved when we rescheduled this episode. Yeah, because I had listened to something else that triggered me. And I Mm -hmm. didn't even know that I was at a place where that could happen. But a specific example was so close that it just took me back. And it was good that I was able to have time to gather and regroup. So there's like an ebb and flow, even when you've recovered, you've moved on, you're in an intimate relationship, you're healthy and all of that, there still can be moments. And you have to be aware of that and take care of yourself. And it doesn't mean you're at ground zero, but that particular moment, you have to take care of yourself. And if you need to communicate some things with your partner during that time, you need to do that as well. Like that particular day, I let him know how I was feeling. You know, mm-hmm. we're going about our day. It's, it's not like, oh, we wanted to have sex and I was being triggered. But I, that day, I just had I just had a different mood. So I, was, I had to explain. So he's like, well, you won't be like, well, what's wrong with you? I didn't do anything. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, yeah. No, I uh, I understand that. That's why I always try to put a trigger warning because sometimes I'm not in the mental. I, I sometimes I forget, but most of the time I'm really good about it because some days I am just not in the mental space to listen to something like that, right? And I really appreciate it when I'm listening to podcasts and they have that because you know you could be in the middle of listening and be like, oh shit, <laughs> like, I wasn't ready. Is, oh no, this yeah, this is it's way too, too much. much for me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you got to be you got to be mindful of your capacity for things um, and mindful of like and sometimes we don't know. Right. Sometimes you're in the middle of listening to something and you're like, oh, there it is. And you got to shut it off. Right. Um, So, yes, I completely understand not having the capacity and that you might hear things that out, out of the blue, you're like, I think I'm doing okay, And then out of the blue, you're like, well, there it is. Right. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. So how, how do you deal with those times when you're where when you get triggered like that? How how do you personally work through it? In that moment it was interesting. It it came about as like just this this knot that settled in my stomach that just seemed like I couldn't get rid of it, right? The whole day going through you're still doing because I couldn't just stop and get in the bed and curl up in a ball right (laughs) there were other things that had to be done so I I stopped and thought I was first of all trying to figure out I'm like wow you know just even thinking through why do I feel this way and and where where exactly in hearing did I get to that so I was thinking about what caused it and then trying to figure out where I could make space in the day to just 
allow myself to rest because yeah. I didn't necessarily have the mood to push on full speed ahead, full force. So I, I laid down and I tried to take some deep breaths just to even physically move the knot. <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, maybe if I can take in some really long, deep breaths or something, I can at least get that feeling out of my stomach. Um, I also prayed and I drank some chamomile tea. I mean, it's really that simple. I had to take time and rest and try to try to process what I was feeling because I literally had not felt that way in, in years. Hmm. I mean, I've, I've publicly shared my story before in in-person spaces to teenagers, to adults, men and women. And I, I could not, it threw me off because I could not figure out in, in that last moment why I felt that way. But usually I just make sure I can find space in the day just to regroup. Like I'm, I, cause I'm not going to be super productive today, you know? Yeah. So if it's, it might not be actual sleeping, but it could just be watching something that's funny you know, or, or put on some music that'll be inspirational and kind of just let it, let it pass because it will, that's the important thing to know is it will pass. And then even having a little positive self-talk, it's like, you're okay. That, that did happen to you, but it's not happening now. You're, you're okay. Like reminding myself again, that it's okay. not, Not that it's okay, but I am okay. Right. Yes, that makes total sense. And it sounds like self-care. You're just take a, yeah. you take time to take care of yourself and have a moment where you can really recenter. And I think it's important to remind yourself that you're okay because sometimes, so like people that listen know I have bipolar disorder and sometimes I have some, I haven't, let me rephrase that. I ha- I'm on medication. So my episodes are milder and more manageable but I had a pretty significant depressive episode, the first really bad one I've had in years. And I ha- that's one thing I had to remind myself that I'm I'm going to be okay. I've been to the other side of this. I will get through it and I'm going to be okay. And I think that's very important. You know, at any point in time, if you, if you feel triggered or you're going through a depressive episode or maybe grief or may- like a grief as in you lost somebody or whatever, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get through this. Absolutely. It, it's really important. It's like um, that self-talk is so powerful because same way that people can rip themselves apart with negative self-talk, right. the positive self, because you have to believe it. You and I could sit here trying to encourage each other. And <laughs> it doesn't matter what I say to you, if you don't personally believe it or what you mm-hmm. say to me, if I don't personally believe it and don't personally feel it. So it's it's more powerful, I think, then people realize. And part of the getting your power back, you don't want to spend your life robbed of anything that you could be having and enjoying um, because of negativity or, or, or not having the, the coping skills. Mm. It is so important to do whatever you need to do to, you know, get some professional help, yes. to give you the coping skills you need for whatever it is, whatever kind mm. of trauma that you're dealing with or have had to deal with in the past. Yeah. Uh, professional help is very important. 
<laughs> I don't know where I would be without it. I uh, had I had to break up with my last therapist because she was very dismissive of my bipolar episodes. Because like I said, because um, I'm on medication, they're milder and more manageable, which also means they don't make they don't meet the clinical diagnosis of oh, okay. depressive and manic episodes. However, my psychiatrist is like, that's normal. They are still episodes. It's just you're on medication. So, but my therapist was just very dismissive of them. Everybody has ups and downs. So like everybody does not have these ups and downs. Right, right. These are significant ones that are just normal. Um, but I went a couple months without a therapist and I've been in therapy since 2013. And it was just, not, I mean, not everybody's going to be in therapy forever, right? For a lot of people, it's just a certain period of time and, and it, you know, but for me as somebody with a mental illness, it's very helpful to have that person that I can talk to and, and that can help me through things. But right. uh, that professional help, whether it's temporary for a moment in time or more permanent like mine is so important. Yeah. And at least it's it's interesting. A couple of weeks ago has a, a program I'm getting ready to do with some teens. I got certified in youth mental health first aid. Wow. And it's not a substitute for, for professional help. It's training on how to have the right non-judgmental conversation, assess the situation so you can guide them in the direction of professional help. And even if they're not yet ready, because you know a lot of young people struggle with, I'm not, you're saying I'm crazy, or even, I won't even just say young people, adults. If yeah. you're not ready yet, also being able to give um, supportive resources for self-help while they're trying to get to the place of being willing to accept the fact that they might need professional help. And those, they're just, it's just so important. I mean, it, I don't care who you are. I just feel like it's its really important because you can, you can benefit from all of it. And then if the more self-help that you know how to administer to yourself in between the therapy right. visits or you're trying to find the new one or what have you is really important. My research interest is mental illness stigma. And a lot of that, it plays into why people don't want to get help is because it's very stigmatized and people right. think, yeah, they think, well, I'm, I'm crazy if I go get help or people are going to think I'm crazy or have something seriously wrong with me instead of like, it's just self-care, just go to get help. But um, as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? I would like the Inspired Women audience to know that no matter how traumatic the sexual abuse, and I, how traumatic is not even the right word, because being inappropriately touched one time, matter of fact, someone saying something that's inappropriate one time can be traumatic. So right. no matter what it is, I want them to know that you can get through it. Um, be patient with yourself, be kind to yourself, find the right support system for you. What worked for me may not work for you. What worked That's for Megan may not work for you, but it's okay to find what you need, but make sure you find it because right. I don't want you in, in this related to the theme of what we've been discussing today. I don't want you to miss out on the beauty that is intimacy with a partner that f that loves you to pieces. You love them to pieces. I don't want you to miss out on this wonderful part of life and yourself because of trauma, past, yeah. present. And so make sure you get what you need. 
Yes. That's, that's so I'm glad you said what works for you and work works, works for me may not work for other people. It's so important to know that you see that. I see that a lot. I'm in a bipolar disorder group and where people will say like, I don't understand why this isn't working for you. Well, it, it's because we're all different. We're all unique and we all have the different things that are going on and how we process things and, and the, our experiences build who we are and, and how we got there. So I, I love that you said that. And I love that you said that it's important that we get to enjoy the pleasures of life because we want to, right. That's, that's part of life is to enjoy these things. And we should enjoy our sexual relations because that's part of it. It's not supposed to feel like a chore. It's supposed to be right. pleasurable for both people. So I am so thankful that you said that. But I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.